well, I'm just so overjoyed to be a part of this spiritual family. And you know what? We're, n- we're not what we were. We're something new, but we're not yet what we're going to be, are we? We're on a journey together, and, and really, we're just trying to figure out how to get to where the Lord's wanting to lead us. And, and so th- this is what we've been doing the last several weeks, just reminding us we've been speaking about what we feel is the dream that God has for us as a spiritual family. And, and we've just been giving different components, just different aspects of, of who we are and who we're going to be. And, and this isn't the exhaustive list, but we've been just talking about different facets. We talked about revival and unity and, and mission. And last week we talked about intimacy with God. And, and then this week we're gonna talk about night and day, 24-7 worship and prayer. It's a huge component of, of who we are as a, as a new spiritual family. You know, I was thinking, and I just keep referring back to Jeff's message two weeks ago on mission, and I just thought he did a masterful job of expressing who we are and our mission as those that are called into relationship with God, that we are to glorify God and we first glorify him vertically, and then we glorify him horizontally, right? The first and the second commandment, we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. And from that place, everything else flows. But I just thought he did such an amazing job with expressing the concept of mission from that place of of intimacy with God. What, What a, I mean, I know it's not a new idea, but what a clear thought, right? That we don't go running after what we think we should do for God. We go running to God, and we get filled with his presence. We get filled with his life. And then from that, we have something to express to others. Isn't that right? And so then last week, we just talked about how the nature of God draws us into relationship with him. He says his name to Moses, and from there, he kind of sets the table of what this is going to look like, and the very first thing he says is, the Lord, the Lord God, this is my name, it's mercy, it's compassion, it's it's loving kindness, it's goodness, and it's truth, And, and this is who I am. I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, and for thousands of generations, I keep loving kindness, but I by no means clear the guilty. And so he sets the table with his nature, expressing it to us, so we're drawn into this relationship. Just think about this. You can't lose with a God who says, my name is mercy. My name is mercy. And how grateful I am that he didn't show up and say, my name is power, or my name is anger. He said, my name is mercy. Mercy means I forgive people who mess up. I go, oh, Lord, (laughs) you've given me something to go on, that you like me. He goes, that's exactly right. And so it's from those places. We want to live out of that well of the knowledge of God, live from that place of, of intimacy with him and, and mission and, and unity, believing for revival. And today we're going to talk about 24-7 worship and prayer, which is a huge component of IHOP Atlanta. And it's probably a new thought for, for folks. We've been talking about it a lot over the last months. And I know Jeff and Dustin have talked about it a lot to, to the folks from, from our Newbridge family. But I want to go ahead and express it today as a component of who we are and who we're going to be as a spiritual family going forward. Now, here's the thing. You got to get your mind around this. Since February of 2006, we have had a live worship and prayer meeting that has never stopped. Okay? Now, think that through for a minute. Morning, noon, and night, every holiday, 2 p.m., 2 a.m., Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Columbus Day, Whatever day, you name the day, since 2006, there's always been someone leading a worship set, inviting people to connect and glorify Jesus. Come on. I mean, and, and your claps are not because we've done anything awesome. It's because that only happens because God. Do you know that? That only happens because of God. And God alone, you know, as a human leader in this environment, I realized, oh, God wants this a lot more than I do. 
Because if it were up to me or up to any individual, we would have quit a long time ago. But there's something that compels the human heart, and it's this, that Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship and our adoration, isn't he? See, I, I like to say it this way. He's not worthy of 24-7. He's worthy of 25-8. <laughs> he's worthy of more than we could ever give him. He's preeminent. He's perfect from everlasting to everlasting. This is our king and our Lord and our God and our bridegroom, and we want to love him. And this is a simple expression. If we could give him more, we would, but at this level, we're able to at least offer ourselves in the grace of God to give him. And many, many times, it's a, it's a weak offering. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, we've had, you know, full worship teams and hundreds of people in the prayer room, and then sometimes just one person, sometimes people like me, sometimes me, <laughs> which, by the way, I am not a singer or a musician. If you ever come in there and I'm leading the worship set, it's going to sound like this. Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> Lord, I love to <clears throat> sing your praises. That's where it's at. And sometimes that fire of worship, it's a flicker. Just being honest, sometimes it's weak. But we're not trying to offer anything more than what we are. We just give them what we are. And, uh, and so it's not about show horses, honestly, that parade on a platform. It's just about lovers of Jesus that want to just give him what we've got. And, and that's what the environment, you know, is. Really, it, it, it's, not, it's not about any kind of human accomplishment. It's about the worth of our king. And it's honestly, I'll just say this, it's a huge gift uh, to us. It's not something that, oh, look at us and look what we're giving God. And, and I'm sure when we get there, the Lord will be very kind to us. And he'll say, you have given me a gift of love and adoration that's been from forever. I mean, been for uh, perpetual, not from forever. He's from forever, but been perpetual. Uh, but we'll just look back at the prayer room and the, the, that, those hours of worship that we got to participate in. And we'll say, Lord, it changed me being in your presence and giving you what I had to offer. And, and man, it felt like, you know, five loaves and two fishes so often. But it changed me. It changed how we lived as a spiritual family. And so there's a huge gift that we've been given. I think, you know, one of the things as a, as a leader in this environment that I had to do is I had to just go back through history and, and look at, obviously, the scripture. I, I, there's a huge theological foundation for 24-7 worship and prayer, which I'll try to get into a little bit today. But even look through church history and just see the occurrences. When and where has there been night and day worship and prayer that has never ceased? When has there been worship-led prayer meetings that were perpetual? And it's, it's actually rare in church history. I mean, there's dozens of them over the, over the course of, you know, a, a couple thousand years, but it's really not that often. In, in fact, it's just a rare gift that God's given us that we get to steward. And uh, as a spiritual family, the thing that's cool about prayer is you don't have to have any special spiritual gift to pray. You, you don't have to be able to speak publicly. You don't have to be able to be like, you know, a, a great musician or a singer, or, or you don't have to be like a, an amazing, you know, creative or, or somebody who's a, you know, like an artisan or a carpenter or a business person. You, you don't have to be able to do anything but say help. Help God. And you can get in on the prayer. You know, sometimes we feel like, man, I just don't know how to pray. I don't have much to say. Just say, help God. That's an awesome prayer. In fact, most of my best prayers are, help God. Help. <laughs> That's what I need. I need you to help. It's really, when they said, Hosanna, come and save, that means, help. <laughs> help God. And so, you don't have to have any special spirituality you don't have to have anything unique about you. And I think that's why God created prayer is he said, everyone in my kingdom can participate in calling on my name. And doesn't prayer put us in that place? We humble ourselves, say, we're not the answer. You are the answer. I'm not going to go after any human means right now. I'm going after the one who's got all the answers. Help! And then he does answer. And isn't it funny how we wait often until the last time, the last thing we do in a problem is we pray? We do all our stuff and then finally go, help! And then God comes in, we go, glory to God. But what if we started with prayer? What if we started with Jesus, started with help, 
Seems like a lot more of our works would be much more effective, wouldn't they? Well, that's where we're orienting from. In this place of continual worship and prayers, we're starting with help. Starting with help us, God. We need you. We're putting the first commandment in first place, and we're expressing it through a continual adoration and cry for God's help for us, for our spiritual family, for the church in the region, the church in the nation, and the nations of the earth. Help, God. And from that place of of leaning on Jesus in humility and crying out to God, loving him and crying out to him, it's from that place that all the works of the kingdom can flow. It's this rich soil, this fertile soil from which kingdom works can grow. So here's the thing. This idea of 24-7 prayer, it was never a man's idea. Even the historical accounts, uh, it's clear that it wasn't any human being that came up with the concept. It was actually God's idea. And biblically, we can see that. It it bears out very, very easily. So here's what I want to do. There's a verse coming up, uh, Revelation chapter 4. I want to think about the place where the idea of ceaseless worship and prayer springs from, and that's the throne room of God. You know, God set up his throne room in a way that is the way that pleases him the most, okay? And in that place of perfection and beauty called the throne room of God, there is a continual worship refrain that never ceases and has continued since forever. And and it's this extolling of the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of God. It's he is worthy. He is holy, holy, holy. And that worship refrain has continued for as long as the throne room has been there. And so I want to look at the verses And it's from that heavenly place, that pattern of continual worship and prayer in the throne room that we actually get the concepts that we see on the earth. So let's look at Revelation 4, verse 8. And I would encourage you to make Revelation 4 a hobby. Consider it, read it, go back to it regularly. If you're bored, pull out your Bible app and just read through it. It's such a powerful chapter that speaks to us of the image and the nature and the beauty of God. But let's look at this. Revelation 4, verse 8. It says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest. They do not rest. Everybody say, they do not rest. Day or night. That was good. That was a bonus saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so I want to get you in the mind of this place. So the throne room of God, you know, John, here he is. He's on the Isle of Patmos. The Bible says he was there on the Lord's day, and he heard a voice, and he turned around, and he sees Jesus in his glorified state. And Jesus says, everything you see and you hear, I want you to write it down and put it in a letter and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And when he turned around to see the voice, he saw one whose face was shining like the sun in its strength, whose hair and his head was white like wool. He was girded around the waist with a band, and, and here he is, his feet are burning like bronze in a fire, and when he spoke, his voice sounded like many waters, and when he looked at him and he saw him, he fell at his feet as dead. And Jesus reaches over and he touches him. He says, don't be afraid. It's me, John. Everything you see in here, write in a book, send it to the churches. And so John's having an amazing quiet time, guys, by the way. This is like the best quiet time. Jesus dictates these seven letters to seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3. And then Revelation 4, he says, a door opened in heaven. And he says, immediately, I was in the Spirit. And John went from having his feet on the ground, having an amazing quiet time with Jesus glorified in front of him, to now blasting off through the door, and he lands in the throne room of God. (laughs) He says, behold, one seated on a throne. He was like a jasper and a sardius stone. And there was thunders and lightnings. 
and voices coming from the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones, 24 elders clothed and, and enthroned and robed. And there were seven lampstands before the throne, and there were these four living creatures. And man, this place is a, be- a place of beauty and sight and sound and wonder and glory. And then the, the attention gets drawn to these living creatures. And, and, and you know, one has this lion head. One, you know, one has this ox head. One has this, like, this head like a man, and, and the other has a head like an eagle. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And they're covered in eyes. I, I. I, I, I. And you look at that and you go, that's weird. But here's the thing. The throne room of God is the center of reality. It's the place from where everything else gets its life and gets its being. It's the center of all creation. The one with the most meaning is seated on the throne and everything around him means something to him. But if we show up in that place and it means nothing to us and it's weird, I wonder if he's weird or if it's actually us that's weird because we're unacquainted with him who's on the throne. You know, if I went to your house and I went to your living room or I went to your bedroom and I saw what you had decorated your room with, those would probably be things that are meaningful to you, right? What if I walked into your living room and went, it's weird in here. What kind of a green is that? That's bizarre. Look at your couch. Right? Who are we to look at the throne room of God and go, weird? Maybe he's not weird. Maybe we're weird. Maybe we're distant from reality. Maybe the reality is him, and we are too tuned into us that we think he's odd. Maybe we should get more tuned into him so then the rest of our existence can make sense. Am I making any sense right now? And so the, the imagery all focuses in on these living creatures, and they're singing this song. Holy, holy, holy. And we get this phrase, they do not rest. Man, and it's that moment when I think, God, you set up your room as a place of perpetual adoration around your throne. And I think, wow, it's only right. See, because here he is, perfect, right? It would be only right that his creation would extol his perfection at all times. Otherwise, he would be less than perfect if his creation wasn't saying of him, he's holy, he's wondrous, he's beautiful. But it's right that God, in the middle of creation, the creation itself stares at him and says, holy. Does that make sense? And you have these living creatures, they're covered in eyes, and I picture them, and they're, they're, they're like, it's like they're, they're flying around the throne because they've got six wings. Two, they're covering eyes. Two, they're covering their feet. I don't know why their feet. Two, their eyes. Two, their feet, I'm just being honest. And then two, they're flying. And the eyes are everywhere, right? So no matter where they are, they're seeing him. And see, Isaiah 6 tells us that those, those six-winged creatures, they're called seraphim. You know that word seraphim? You know what it means? Burning ones. You know why they're burning ones? Because they're staring at the one who is a consuming fire. You know what happens to you when you stare at the one who is a consuming fire? You get lit on fire too! This, beloved, is our portion. People go, well, brother, you're a little too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And I would say, well, Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you will be revealed also with him in glory. I would say this, that the church currently is not heavenly minded enough to be any earthly good. And we have to reorient our gaze and our focus heavenward so that we can take of what's coming from the throne and then manifest it here in the earth. And so here they are, and they're crying out, holy, holy, 
holy. That word, it, it, it has so many variants and nuances to it. I mean, ultimately, it means this, other than. There's nothing like you. There's nothing like you. There's nothing like you. Now think about that. Six-winged creatures with a lion head, eagle head, lamb head, man head, covered in eyes, staring at the uncreated God and saying, there's nothing like you. <laughs> How unique is he? How perfect is he? How wondrous is he? Holy, holy, holy. The refrain never stops. Holy, holy, holy. They never get tired. They never get bored. Watch this. You and I in worship this morning, it was precious, wasn't it? Wasn't the worship precious this morning? But, I mean, after a little while, it's like, man, how many times can we sing reckless love? It's reckless. I get it. I'm wrecked. You're wrecking me. Love is reckless. Your love is reckless. Glory. We get bored in a matter of minutes. Think this through now. We're, you know, our frame is finite. We're staring through a glass darkly. We're on this side of time and on this side of eternity. And so we can't see through the veil, really. But there they are with unveiled face, beholding the one who is a consuming fire, who's from everlasting to everlasting. And these seraphim, they never get tired and they never get bored. Because the one on the throne is other than. There's a term, a, a theological term, transcendent. Transcendent. Do you know what it means? There's nothing like you at all anywhere. See, in all of creation, there's this sort of spectrum of things that exist. I mean, from the single-celled organism all the way up to, like, the lion, the king of the jungle, all the way up to, you know, humans, right? And then even archangels, right? There's this spectrum of everything that exists. But here's the thing. With God, there's this entire spectrum of all creation, all the animals, all the vegetables, minerals, all of that stuff. And then there's an infinite chasm, and on the other side of that chasm, there's one, God alone. See, the highest archangel and the most simple single-celled organism, they're about this far apart because he is transcendent. He's of his own order, and there's nothing like him. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When we go back and look at Isaiah 6, and it's the same angels, and they're the same seraphim, and they're saying the same song. They're staring at the same God, and you know what? They're, not, they're, they're back there, and they're saying, holy, 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 and it's hundreds of years earlier. It's now it's you know hundreds of years later, holy, holy, holy. They're not bored. They're not tired. Why? Because it's infinitely true that he's other than anything else in creation. It's infinitely true that he's pure, that he's beautiful, that he's wondrous, that he's marvelous, that he's magnificent. It's infinitely true that he's God and there is no other. Holy, you see it. It's only right. It's only right for that place to extol and worship the beauty of majesty, the beauty of holiness. And so it's from that format that the concept of 24-7 prayer even comes. It's not a human idea. It's a heaven idea. And so then when you trace it through the scripture, I just want to throw out some examples real quickly. And then I want to get to our modern day application. But when you trace it through the scriptures, what you find is this. People like Moses, people like David, they had encounters with God where God said, I'm going to show you the pattern of things in heaven, and I want you to replicate them on the earth and set up a worship environment that's like what you see in heaven. 
Okay, So with Moses and the tabernacle that he built in the wilderness when Israel was sojourning, going to the promised land, the Lord, the very first thing he does is he takes him up on the mountain and he shows him this format of what's going on in the heavenly throne room. There's actually physicality that he sees. He actually sees this, this altar and he, and he sees the lampstands and he sees all these things. And what the Lord does is he gives Moses the plan for the earthly tabernacle from the heavenly actual real throne room does that make sense hebrews 9 is very very clear tells us that point and so here's the thing in moses tabernacle when they dedicate the tabernacle and there's a worship system that the lord gives to moses and it's a sacrificial system of animal sacrifices to cover the sins of the people what happens is this they dedicate this tabernacle and when they do The glory of the Lord appears and fire comes out of heaven and devours the sacrifice. Fire. Now, I've been to some good prayer meetings, but I've never seen whoosh. But I want to. Why not? It's in the Bible. I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Fire falls from heaven, and it devours the sacrifice. Well, that fire keeps burning. And then here's what happens. The Lord ordains that the priests, the human ministers to God, they're they're men that minister to God on behalf of men, and they minister to the people on behalf of God. The priests, they are to keep the fire burning night and day. It's never to go out. And so we get this from Leviticus chapter 6. In in verse 12, it says this, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Why? What is that? That fire on the altar, it's a symbol of worship to God. He sets up the tabernacle on earth to be a mirror of the heavenly throne room. And so the fire is to be continually stoked night and day. It's to never go out. And all of Israel's sojourn in the wilderness, the priests were to continue, continually make sure that fire, it kept burning. What's interesting is they didn't add fire. They got the fire from heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't you know you would approach that fire pretty interestingly? I mean, you bring the wood, you're like, <laughs> right? Because the thing that's burning didn't come from human origin. It wasn't too, you know, flint. Like, like, it was fire that fell that they were to keep burning. You know what God does? He fills us with fire, and he makes us a kingdom of priests. And he says, now, priests, tend to the fire that I put on the inside of you. Let that thing keep burning. And that's a picture of it. And this is how they lived day in and day out. Now listen, this was real people. This isn't like an Avengers movie. Right? This is humans. Real flesh and blood people had to show up and make sure that fire was burning. It, didn't, it, it just didn't go forward on inevitability. It was human beings engaged, commissioned to see that that worship continued to ascend. So here's what happens. You have Moses' tabernacle, and and, and what happens is David comes along, a man after God's own heart, and and several weeks ago I preached on a Wednesday night, and I talked about the process that David had to go through to to get to where he actually developed 24-7 worship and prayer. But David has this commission from heaven that he's supposed to set up not just a fire burning and a sacrificial system, but he's actually supposed to set up singers and musicians who are worshiping the beauty of holiness. Do you know where David got that idea? The same place that Moses got it. The Lord took David into an encounter, and David saw a heavenly picture. It's fantastic. So David gets the Ark of the Covenant, sets up a tent, and they get the singers and the musicians. He had 288 trained prophetic singers and musicians. By the way, if you don't, if you don't know where our notes are, you can just go to mynewbridge.church, and it's right there. This week's sermon, the notes are all online. You can just check them out, and all this is in the notes. But what David had was uh, 288 live uh, trained prophetic singers and musicians who, what they did was they had... Uh, 
shifts every single day, had uh, uh, an hour-long shift for 24 hours, and they continued ceaselessly before the ark. They were led by Asaph, the chief song leader, and they worshiped the beauty of holiness before the ark of the covenant where the glory of God was resident. Most people don't recognize that that was the center of David's kingdom. And once David set up the Ark of the Covenant with the 24-7 worship around it, God gave him dominion. There's something about when the people of God center themselves and worship in adoration of God, the manifestation of the kingdom flows out effortlessly. It's the whole mentality of abiding. I'm just going to give you a side journey for a minute. John 15, you know, Jesus didn't teach quiet times. He taught abiding. He goes, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you wish, and it'll be done for you. Here's what happens. See, as you abide in God, it's it's like the branch and the vine. The branch is abiding in the vine. The branch doesn't have to struggle to to produce fruit. Have you ever seen like a, a fruit tree and you walk past it, there's no fruit on it, but you see the thing and it's like, ah! And finally, a fruit pops out. Ever seen that tree? No, because that tree doesn't exist. Because a fruit tree that's rooted in the soil that's getting nourished, guess what it does? Boom, it produces fruit. And that's what Jesus said in John 15. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you wish, it'll be done for you. He goes, you'll bear much fruit. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. There's this reality of abiding in his presence, abiding in, the, in, you know, in the, the, um, the intimacy that we have, the internal Holy Spirit residing in us. We flow in intimacy with God, and fruit happens. Everybody say, fruit happens. That's better than that other phrase, that cuss word. This is fruit happens. Glory to God. When we abide, fruit happens happens. And this is what was going on in David's kingdom. He was abiding. He had, a, he had a whole centerpiece, all centered on worship, abiding in the presence of God. And, and there from the, the kingdom of Israel, they were conquesting and they were taking over. They were prospering. Fruit was happening. Dominion was happening. So then we get to Solomon. See, because David, he looked at his tent and he's living in a palace and he looks at the tent that he put God in and, and he says, man, I'm living in a palace. God's in a tent. This is not okay. And he goes to, to build God a temple and, and the Lord says, no, David, you can't build me a temple He goes, because you're a man of war. Your hands have blood on them. But what you can do is your son will build me a house. And so what David does is he stores up his whole life for Solomon to enter into the inheritance, and Solomon builds God a temple. And what Solomon does is he takes the mosaic, uh, mosaic, Moses sacrificial system of the tabernacle, the David sacrificial system of the tabernacle of David, puts it together in one, and that was Israel's temple worship. It had night and day worship and prayer with the sacrificial system. That's what was going on throughout the entire Old Testament. Now, when Israel backslid, you know know what they would do? They would quit worshiping God night and day. And then when they had revival, seven different kings that had revival in the Old Testament, when they came back to God, you know what they would do? They would figure out what the law said, they'd get the Moses sacrificial system back going, and they would get the night and day worship going according to the order of David. You can read it. It's all in the Bible. I wrote a little book called Unceasing. It's all in there. It's the easy version. It's like the 200-page book. You can get it. But so here's the thing. This was the pattern for God's people all through the Old Testament. And so then fast forward, Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus shows up in this rebuilt temple, and then it had been, there are additions added to it by Herod, Jesus shows up, and at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John chapter 2, he shows up, he goes, guys, where's the prayer? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You're making it a den of thieves. John chapter 2. And so here's Jesus, and when he, when he shows up in Jerusalem, the biggest issue on his heart is, where is the continual adoration to my Father? You've got the form right, but where's the heart? <laughs> Can you imagine? Here comes Jesus. And when you read John chapter 2, I'll just, just fill it in a little bit for you. But when you read John chapter 2, Jesus goes in, and then he goes out of the temple, and he comes back with a whip. 
I want to propose there wasn't a whip store just outside the temple. He went in and was like, what in the world? They've made this commerce. This is all about religious spectacle. This is not about what it's supposed to be. I'll be back. <laughs> he, walks, he walks out. And if you've, if you've been to Jerusalem, if you've been to Israel, then you know they have these trees that are the, 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 the what are those called? Branches? Those things? They're, they're all very wispy. You can take those things down. And if you, if you get like four or five of them, then you wrap them together, you end up with a nice whip. So our Jesus, our Jesus, break, break, break. He's breaking off the branches. He is making his own whip. He walks back in with the whip. And he's like, <sighs> and the disciples are like, Jesus? I've never, never seen you like that before. You all right? <laughs> and our Jesus is physically swinging the whip so much so that he's driving animals out of the temple courts. He is grabbing tables and flipping them. Our Jesus. I've been to that temple court. If money hits the ground, you hear it like all the way across, and he's throwing all the money on the ground. He's opening the cages. The doves are flying. He's swinging at people and driving the money changers out of the temple. You never see Jesus get physical with anyone in his entire earthly ministry except for over this issue of where is the prayer? That's when we see him actually get physical. Think about that for a minute. I, he said, I only do what I see my father do. And I only say what I hear my father say. Fast forward, it's three years later, end of Jesus' ministry. So he starts his ministry with that in John 2. Matthew 21, end of Jesus' ministry. Passover, everybody, everybody has come. Verse 12, Matthew 21, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He does the exact same thing three years later. Think about this. There's the money changers. They haven't changed their ways. Nobody's repented. The temple worship is going on just as it was. No prayer. It's all about commerce and religious spectacle religious spectacle. Think about that. It's about money and a religious show. And Jesus shows up. And think this, I just, I, you know, in my mind, I just kind of try to play out the narrative. I can just imagine you're a money changer. And there he is. And the money changers are sitting around. They're going, remember that crazy prophet guy? Three years ago came in here whipping everybody. Man, I lost all my doves on that day. Drove my cattle right. I was crazy. Man, that guy was crazy. Yeah, just a religious fanatic. I mean, we, you know, we've got a good thing going here. Nobody like that's going to stop Well, we're going. We were upcharging these people on this money, changing for these festivals. We were making such a good turnaround. This is my livelihood. I mean, God would want me to make a good living for my children. And they're justifying that. I can imagine they're just reminiscing. Remember that crazy prophet? And they turn and look, and there's Jesus again. <laughs> I'm back. He does it again. Overturns their tables. It's him. No. You've made my father's house a den of thieves. You knew my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Even those words, when I hear them right now, there's just a conviction and a sting on them, isn't there? And I go, Lord, may it never be that that which you desired to be an atmosphere of devotion and love and worship to you turns into a human event of money and spectacle. May it never be. And I think about that, and I, and I so I don't know how, how you guys do, but I always just put myself in the story, and I go, God, 
I must be the most silly person on the planet because not only do we try to do worship and prayer, we named, we named the ministry house of prayer. Like, I must be like really on the verge to name the place International House of Prayer because if we're not doing it and I get to show up to you and go, yeah, my ministry is called International House of Prayer. And he's like, yeah, I was wondering where the prayer was. Because even in a format, even in 24-7, you can be going through the motions without a heart that's alive in God. No, beloved, isn't that our challenge? That we, got, we get professional at doing church we get professional at doing services. We get professional at going through the motions. But what's in here? Man, is it on fire? Has the priest been tending the fire? When we're together, is it a corporate environment where fire is burning, where incense is arising? Because, beloved, he's coming back for a bride who's spotless and who's white. You, you get that, right? He, he's not coming back for a bride that looks like the world. He's coming back for a bride that looks like himself. No, oh, beloved. When I see Jesus and he's getting serious about this issue of worship and prayer, I go, God, I don't want to name that we're alive, but we're actually dead on the inside. I don't want to just, you know, give the thumbs up to night and day worship and prayer, but we're just going through the motions. I want to have fire, not just on the altar of, of, of the prayer room. I want to have fire on the altar of my heart. I want to live this way. I want this to be real for me and my family. I want, I want my wife and my children to burn with love for Jesus because if that's not what's going on, then we're just going through the motions. And oh, there's a tremble in me that we would love, in a manner, love him in a manner that's worthy of him. That we'd really love him. Isn't it interesting when you read 1 Corinthians 13? They point, you know, the conversation, you can give all your money to the poor, but if you have not love. They point to this issue of this burning fire of love in the heart. There's a ton of religious works because he counted for nothing your heart wasn't inflamed with love. The only way we get there is by staring and engaging with the one who is love itself, the living flame of love, God who is burning fiery love. We engage with him, and from that place, all the activity of the kingdom flows. Amen. So let me get now to our modern-day application. Just giving you thoughts, biblical patterns, and, and the, the strategy is of the Old Testament, and even the new when Jesus shows up, is that the people of God should be centered around this vertical expression of adoration. We don't really realize this. Most people haven't done the work, but, you know, when we just, when, when church just diminishes to just a Sunday service, we're in a format of just mimicking the ancient synagogue system minus what went on throughout the week. It's less than the ancient synagogue system, actually. There's supposed to be a perpetual intimacy, a perpetual adoration with God. I'm not saying every place has to have 24-7 prayer, but I am saying that every place has to have an abiding heart of devotion to God. That's the church. People in relationship with God. All right, modern-day application. Isaiah 62, let me give you this, and we'll begin to land the plane. Isaiah prophesies... Before Jesus ever walked into the temple, hundreds of years before, Isaiah prophesies of the day in which the Lord would return. He prophesies of the second coming. And he says this, he says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. And you who make mention or cry out to the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. All right, let me explain something to you. Uh, Dustin said it perfectly this morning. When Jesus Christ returns, he is going to set up the center of his earthly governmental rule in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be 
the praise of the earth. Physical, literal Jerusalem. Why do you think there's so much warfare over that little bit of property? Look, I've been to Maui. It's lots nicer than Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to war over something, war over like Maui or Cancun or something, those are nice spots. Jerusalem is good, but it's not, I mean, it's not that. Why that spot? Because God said, Jerusalem is the place of my feet, my footstool. It's mine forever. God shows that plot of land. Why? Because when he returns, he's going to rule the nations from Jerusalem. Isaiah 2, the law shall go forth from Zion, that's Jerusalem. He'll teach us his ways. Jesus is coming back to set up the kingdom of God on the earth, okay? So he says, I have set watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. And those watchmen, notice that it's plural, they shall never hold their peace day or night. And he goes, you, talking to the watchmen, you, who, who make mention of the Lord, who cry out to the Lord, give the Lord no rest and do not be silent until he makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. What's he talking about? Until the Lord Jesus returns and Jerusalem is the center of his government on the earth. Let me tell you something. Jerusalem isn't the praise of the earth because all Israel gets saved. Jerusalem is the praise of the earth in that day because the praiseworthy one will dwell there. Are you hearing me? So here's the deal. Isaiah prophesies of a season prior to the Lord's return, and he says, it's already been done. God says he's already set the watchmen on the walls. I have set them. I remember this thing hit me like a ton of bricks. It's 2007. I hop Atlanta. We've been 24-7 for about a year, a little bit over a year. And I'm reading Isaiah 62, and I realize what this thing is saying, that prior to the Lord's return, that there will be these watchmen, these communities of people that will cry out to the Lord night and day until the Lord makes Jerusalem a praise. And you ever had that moment where you're reading the Bible and the verse, it starts messing with you? It's like it's alive or something. Because it is. <laughs> Hebrews 4, it's a living word. And it's like, man, this verse is like something. It's like, I've read it a bunch, but man, it was like speaking to me. Then I realized, wait a minute, we're 24, and, and it was like, we were like over a year into it, and I was like, we should, this should never have happened. I mean, 24-7 prayer is hard. It's way harder than running like a 24-hour Waffle House. It's way harder than that. <laughs> like, this is hard. Oh, do it on missionaries in America. Get people to raise their own support and invite others to <laughs> support them to pray night and day. Try that one. People look at you like, what? You want me to give you money to pray? Tell you what, go home for free, pray by yourself. How about that? I mean, it's just like crazy, right? And so the thing goes, it's like, like I'm almost 18 months in, and I go, man, this should not, wait, God wanted this more than I did. God wanted this more than, and I'm reading this passage, and I go, oh my gosh, this isn't a passage that I just like. I like what it's about. I realized, oh, this passage is about what I'm doing. And when that thing flipped in my mind, I went, oh, my, whoa, 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 wait. This can't be. This can't be about what we're doing. And I stared at it and stared at it, and I started asking some, some leaders and friends in my life. I go, do you think this is about the prayer movement that's happening in the earth right now? They said, yes, we absolutely do. And I looked at my little self, because I was a youth pastor, gang. I was nobody. I was a little youth pastor. I had a great youth pastor job. The Lord said 24-7 prayer. I fired myself from my youth pastor job, went out to Kansas City, tried to figure out, like, what are y'all talking about? Nine-day prayer, watchman on the wall. I don't know what even you're saying right now. I said, all right, let's go back to Atlanta and try this thing. And I would tell our staff, I go, listen, if the Lord doesn't build the house, we're laboring in vain anyway. I'll just move back to Kansas City, I guess. I mean, I was like, our staff's like, is this thing going to happen? And I remember we went 40 hours a week and then 70 hours a week. And I remember I got our leadership team in a side room. I go, guys, we're 70 hours a week. You think this thing's going to happen? They're like, duh, yeah. I was like, man, I better get on to this. I better start believing. I was the last one in. I, I just didn't. I was, how's this going to work? And we went 120 hours. I remember 16-month mark. We went 168 hours a week, 24-7. Just little, weak people trying to love Jesus. 
And then it took me another 16 months to realize, oh, it wasn't of human endeavor. It was the grace of God working through us. All right? Because God has an agenda. And here's what I found over the last 12 years as I've traveled literally to 30 countries. I mean, so many different parts of the world. And I go places, and they are, I mean, some remote places, and I will find people doing 24-7 worship and prayer. And I go, what in the world? I remember I went to China, and I, I'll just tell you this quick story. I, they, they took me to China. They took me four hours out, I mean, completely, you know, just out, way, way, way out in the Chinese country. And, and it was such a, it was such a um, security risk for me to be out there. They literally had me run. We, we stopped at the car. We get out, and they, like, run down there. I'm, like, running full speed so nobody sees me. Because you got an American running around in the, in the country in China. That's a problem. And I'm running, running, running. I'm, I'm in the place. Like, are we okay? Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're inside. Okay, okay, okay. I get in there. This little house church. There's 90 Chinese people in this house church. They're just loving Jesus. And they said, we want to show you our prayer room. And they take me up, and there's this room at the top of this compound, and it's got this beautiful mahogany stained door. There's this sign over top. And I said, what's the sign say? It's in Chinese. It says, uh, it says, uh, if you won't keep your watch, don't come in. Your prayer watch, you know. If you won't keep your watch on the wall, don't come in. I was like, whoa, that would never work in America. <laughs> don't come in unless you're serious about prayer. Like, it's not going to work. Chinese are like, that's right. <laughs> Open the door. I walk in. There's these two Chinese grandmas that are on the, on the ground. They're weeping, worshiping Jesus with their Bibles open. And one singing a... Chinese hymn, and I just, man, chills all over my body, and I just look at them, and go, what is going on here? And they said, it's been 24-7 for two years. They've never stopped worshiping and praying. And I go, why? Where did you get that idea? I said, have you ever heard of IHOP in Kansas City? <laughs> they go, no. I go, well, where'd you get this idea? They said, our leaders have been believing this for years, that if the gospel was to go throughout all the world, it needed 24-7 prayer to power it through the 1040 window. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most humbling, I mean, more than humiliating moments of my life as I walked into this place, these two grandmas, and they see me, this, this young American guy, and they look up at me, and they say, Pray for us. Pray for us. I could pr pray for them. Oh, I need them to pray for me. And I prayed for them just out of honor. And then I got on my face and said, please pray for me. And I began to ask the pastor of that local assembly. I said, what's going on with this 24-7? He goes, oh, we have 24 churches in our network that are all 24 hours a day. Worship and prayer. Guys, wherever I've gone, and I, and I checked back with the senior leader of that church network of 7 million people about three years ago when my wife and I were, were in China again, and I said, I heard that you had 24 churches that were 24-7. He goes, oh, it's 47 now, brother. 47 24-hour-a-day houses of prayer. But wherever I've gone, the Middle East, closed countries. We have a team in a, in a Middle Eastern area that I can't even mention because the security risk is too high. And, and there are 60 churches that want 24-hour-a-day prayer in their city for the gospel to go forth in power, for Jesus to be exalted. I mean, Africa, wherever we've gone, there are people that are hearing the sound of the Holy Spirit. We sang it this morning, Jesus is coming soon. Now, either that's a slogan or a little Christianese, or we really believe it, that he's coming back. And I'll tell you this, he is coming back, and what's he doing right now with this 24-7 worship and prayer? I know exactly what he's doing. It's like when somebody gets in your car, they start messing with your radio, changing the channel of the worship environment of the earth to a station that he likes on earth as it is in heaven. He's changing the channel because he's getting ready to come here. He's taking the atmosphere of the throne room and he's releasing it on the planet. Oh, beloved. Listen, listen. You don't have to be a singer or a musician. I'm not. Just honest. I'm like, Lord, I live. I mean, just I'm not. But it's the most beautiful thing 
that it doesn't matter what your gifts are. You can sit in a room in a corporate gathering like a Joel 2 style solemn assembly and you can sit together with other believers and go, Jesus, I love you. You're worthy. Help. Help. We're crying out for your help. We're crying out for you to come. We're crying out for you to touch the church in this region. Let, let me tell you something. I used to think when, before when I was in ministry that I loved the church. I didn't love the church. I loved my church. You know what? I love our spiritual family, but I got to tell you something. I love the church now. You know why? Because I pray for us all the time. And whoever they are over there and whoever they are over there, it doesn't matter to me. If they love Jesus, I love them. That's my family. I mean, 12 still right there. We love those guys. We just met with their leader. We love those guys. We just said, man, we just want to be your friend, man. We just want to pray with you. We love you. I don't care. Baptist, Methodist, uh, AME, Kojic. I don't care. Pentecostal, charismatic, non-denominational. Don't know what you are, house church. I don't care. Episcopal Catholic, if you love Jesus, we love you. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for a bride. Come on now. And so here's it for us. We're not anybody special. We're just, we're just little old me, but and somehow we bumbled into this thing. I, I call it having a, an acute case of Magoo-itis. Remember Magoo? Big old Coke bottle glasses kind of bumbling around and it just always worked out for him. That's me. I relate. But here we are. We have this beautiful opportunity to steward a continual reality worship and prayer. Again, some of you aren't singers and musicians. That's okay. Just get in the room. I guarantee you the schedule works with your schedule. It's the beautiful thing about 24-7. I'm in there sometimes at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning, and I'll see moms with little kids. And they come in, and I go, what are you doing? They go, well, I didn't want to get left out. This is my only time. I'm like, God, you're a hero. I will be bringing you coffee in the age to come. That will be my job. <laughs> but no matter if you're a businessman or a housewife or a businesswoman or a house dad or whatever, the schedule works. Put your, put your portion in there. Just, just get in the room. Look at your schedule. Take a hard look at the way you're spending your time. Figure out a time you can get in there during the week. And if you're a singer and musician, you might say, well, I'm, I'm not like, you know, really, really, really good. That's okay. Can you say Jesus? Because if you have a portion of giftedness, we can use you. And you can let your, your gift flow and shine before the Lord in the place of worship and prayer. Amen. Because everything is always worship-led, so we always need people that, that are gifted in some way or another. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do. I just, you guys are so, I just keep saying this. You're, you're the problem. The reason why I go long is because you guys are too easy to preach to. So easy. Let's just do this. Let's just all stand. All right, I know it's me. I repent. Long-winded preacher. I just want to invite us right now just to embrace what the Lord's doing with who we are as a, a family centered in night and day prayer. It doesn't mean that we, we say no to community or relationships or, or strength and, and, and real discipleship with one another. It doesn't mean we say no. No, we say yes to that. We just know that as a, as a spiritual family, we have this honor to tend this vertical environment of adoration. Amen? Let's just take a moment. Let's just present ourselves before the Lord. I want to pray, and, and this is just an opportunity for us just to say yes to what God's done. And, and for those of you that have been apart forever, you can just in your heart just sign up again. And, and for those that this is a new thought to you, you can just say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with what you're doing. And, and maybe you don't even know what that looks like, but, but for some of us, we just got to take a look at our schedule, look at our time, and figure out when we can get in, in, the, in the prayer room. So, Lord, here we are. We love you, Lord, more than anything. We love you more than anything. And Lord, we're grateful for the spiritual family you're making of us. And so I'm asking right now that this vision, this mandate of night and day prayer, that it would just really seed through our whole spiritual family. God, we want to take the gospel from our neighborhoods to the nations. We want to do it from the place 
of hearts burning for you in adoration. And Lord, so corporately, God, right now, we just want to say yes. And I would just want to invite you in your own heart. We don't have to come forward for this, but just in your own heart, if you just say, Lord, I agree. I say yes. And for some of you, you say yes again. But I just want to invite you in this moment, just between you and the Lord, just your own way. Say, Lord, I agree. You're worthy 24-7. Just tell him, I agree. I want to be a part of it. Some of you, you're a singer, a musician, you haven't used your gifts in a long time. I'm going to tell you, there's a spot for you. There's a place for you. Our worship teams on Sunday are the only, aren't the only place that worship happens. Even right now, just between you and the Lord, God, I say yes. I say yes. I say yes. I want to love you. 